from that came the magazine because of social media influencers. And there was this kind of move within some of the industry to form contracts with social media influencers. So they would come in, they would get a service, then they would talk about it on their social media pages. And that to me was a disaster. And it's not that I don't appreciate the people who come in and have a service, then, you know, throw it out on their Insta stories and on Facebook, but they are pretty much loyal to whoever is going to give them the free product. And I was like, I'm not, I'm not in with this. So I basically, I said, why aren't we the influencer? Why aren't we at this practice? We know more about injectables than anyone in our area. You're listening to How I Scaled My Aesthetic Clinic, the podcast where the most high-performing owners of aesthetic clinics and med spas from all over the world tell their stories and share the strategies and insights that allowed them to grow their business from often humble beginnings to soaring success. If you've ever tried to build a clinic, you'll know that it takes a lot more than just being a great doctor or practitioner, and it helps when you learn from the best in the industry. So join me, Miriam Shaviv, host and director of content at Brainstorm Digital, as we explore how aesthetic clinic owners just like you have developed the mindset, skills, and experience to transform their businesses and how you can do the same. Let's jump in. Digital marketing is key to growing your clinic, but in a crowded market, how do you stand out? Today's guest has an unusual answer. She bypassed the competition entirely and launched a print magazine to attract new patients. That's right. In the digital age, she went offline and it's worked beautifully. Haley Johnston-Wood is founder of The Look Facial Aesthetics, a fast-growing clinic in Tennessee. With a background as a nurse practitioner, she's trained over 4,000 physicians and aesthetic nurses in injectable techniques. She opened her own practice in 2017. But Haley is already making her mark by thinking outside the box. This includes leading aesthetics, aesthetic masterminds, a mastermind group for ambitious owners of growing clinics who want to share best practice and learn from each other's success. Haley, welcome to How I Scaled My Aesthetic Practice. Hi, good morning. Thank you. Um, thank, you. thank you for being here. It's a pleasure to have you. Um, Haley, I wanted to start off by asking you about the magazine, which is really how I first came across you in the first place. I was so impressed by how lively this magazine was. What made you decide to launch it? Well, I think the idea originally came from, I, I honestly just hate social media. And everything is so digital. There's nothing you can take home. There's nothing you, I mean, you can take your phone or you can look online, but there's nothing like sometimes you just want to feel something and you just want to see something and you want to be able to pull it out. And that's where this came from because we first started with a blog book in our office. So we have an amazing marketing person, Kara, who helps us. She's, I just call her a wordsmith. She just helps us write wonderful blogs, but I didn't want that again to stay on a digital platform, which is our website. So I asked her, I said, what can we do to put these into a book? So new perspective patients can read, oh yeah, we do Sculptra. We do all the things you can't talk about in a 30 minute consultation, but you can take it home and read it. 
So that was the first um, attempt to do something like in a uh, paper format. And then we got into... Um, just to interrupt you, so it was a deliberate decision that you felt that people wanted something to actually hold and not just skim on the net. Yes. Um, I don't think patients were actually asking us for it, but I felt like there was a need to give them something. It's almost like you give someone a menu of services, but there's like what's behind that. You know, so you give that to them in print or you give them a business card in print, but then it stops there and it's their responsibility to go to the website. They may or may not do that. So it's just another form of influence, which is, you know, allows them to see us that we are the leader in this space. And so from that came the magazine because of social media influencers. And there was this kind of move within some of the industry to form contracts with social media influencers. So they would come in, they would get a service, then they would talk about it on their social media pages. And that to me was a disaster. And it's not that I don't appreciate the people who come in and have a service, then, you know, throw it out on their Insta stories and on Facebook, but they are pretty much loyal to whoever is going to give them the free product. And I was like, I'm not, I'm not in with this. So I basically, I said, why aren't we the influencer? Why aren't we at this practice? We know more about injectables than anyone in our area. And we need to let the people that we serve know that we are the influencers, not the people who are on social media who have, you know, 20,000, 50,000 followers. So that's where this idea originated was that we had patients and we had clients who were in, um, we have a Nordstrom shopper and actually she's not a patient of mine, but she's a friend of one of our employees. And we had uh, life coaches and we have wardrobe stylists. Like these are all the things that women really want to know outside of just Botox. So let's increase our funnel and talk about makeup ideas, photography ideas, uh, a recipe, nutrition, just health and wellness, and then sprinkle it with what we do in the office, like the best skincare, the best, you know, um, ways to manage aging and bring it all in together. So I won't lie, it's expensive. So, so Haley, what you were actually doing was you were actually creating a true lifestyle magazine that you thought that people would genuinely be interested in. Um, and I guess what's, in, what, what's important here is from a marketing perspective, as a marketer, is that you were really focused on what your potential patients might really want, not just on what you were selling. Is that right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, they may want to know, like, what are the five top paint colors for your house? Or what's the five top lipstick colors for fall? They want to know that. And I can't give them all that information. But if they can read it, if they're seeing that, oh, yeah, these are like, this is some really great content. What does she have to offer in the practice? People will actually bring the magazine in to us. So it's really fun just to see that. So um, where do you get this content from? Where do you get the additional things that are not focused on your treatments? So I have to leave that all up to Kara. Kara Davis is the girl, is the, the mastermind behind this. I write the editorial, but she also brings in um, like a few book reviews, uh, she'll bring in and she contacts each of the contributors and lets them know what the theme is for the month. 
I write my, my editorial around the Lux life. Um, we're talking about luxurious gifts. And some of those gifts can be what we sell in the practice, or it may be what's at Nordstrom. Or, because um, we serve a, a, a higher income demographic. We're one of the highest income um, um, revenue, inter the, we're one of the highest income revenue areas in the state of Tennessee. So we know that most of our people are, you know, shopping at Neiman Marcus or Nordstrom. So Haley, am I right that a lot of the contributors to the magazine are actually patients of yours? Some are and some are not. Um, I asked those that one I went to college with, she's our wardrobe stylist, Amanda Sears. Um, then we'll have another long-term uh, patient who um, helps us with like the life coaching. And they all said, yes, they would love to do something like this and write an article. And, um, and I don't, I don't pay them. Um, they volunteer their time and they love what we're doing behind this. It help you build up those relationships? Does that, does that help you? Um, you know, in many businesses, referrals and, um, and those kind of connections are important to the business. So is that a separate, um, a separate part of the strategy? Do you pick people strategically to contribute because it may somehow help, help your business as well? Or is it just purely what might be interesting to your readers? Yeah, I thought perhaps, you know, initially we would... Um, maybe sell ads or and that would reduce the cost but then I just have a certain vision of what I want the content to be and we haven't ventured out into that I just really love what we've developed so far and I'm not ready to mess with it yet so um, I'm willing to fork you know to fork out the money right now it's expensive um, to do this because I think we send it to about 2,500 people in our in a certain zip code around our practice. So, and the, and the paper quality is thick. I wanted it to stand out. It's actually more like the paper quality of the Nordstrom mailer that you might get with like the catalog. Um, so it just stands out when you pull it out, like it makes you think, oh, what is this? I need to look through it. And presumably one of the other advantages of print is that it stays on people's coffee tables for a long time. Right. So we'll order extra copies and we will have those in the practice. And we actually put that in along with our blog book into a folder that new, every new patient receives. So they receive a blog book, the current magazine and uh, menu services, cards. So it's just another, and it's a big bind. It's a big folder. Um, so they leave with this pink folder that matches the, the coloring of our office and they, they love it. So what impact has it actually, what has it had a tangible impact on the business? Cause obviously you talk about it being expensive um, and you talk, but you also talk about it being a part of a funnel. So you are presumably looking for a return on that investment. So mm -hmm. you know that it is actually, do you, do you, what, what kind of impact has it had? And is, it, is, it, is it producing a return? Well, when it first launched, um, one of our reps lives in one of the neighborhoods that it went to. He said, I have people texting me right and left that they received your magazine. So it's creating a little buzz. Um, I'm hopeful. I've, I'm not the best at tracking ROI, I will totally admit. But 
we have patients bringing it in. I have reps telling me that they're getting texts from neighbors saying, hey, what is this? I've heard of the look or I've heard of Haley. Um, and it just secures the fact that we are, you know, an influencer in this space and that we do know what we're talking about. Um, and I have patients say, hey, did you get, uh, like, when's, like, when's my magazine coming? So we actually had to make it into a digital format, which, again, it's digital. We're going right back to where we were before. But we had people like um, say, hey, I don't live in this certain zip, zip code, so how can I get the magazine? So Kara made it into a digital copy on our website. And is that as popular? I, I guess I'm interested to know whether that's as popular as the, as the print version, um, simply because there's always this tension between print and digital. Everyone nowadays thinks they need to go on digital. Um, and obviously, as an email marketer, I'm super into that. Um, but there's no question that there is now a trend of people going back to print because they mm -hmm. understand that's an area that is underutilized, not just in the aesthetic market, but I see this the whole time in businesses across the board. People are definitely going back to, 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 to print because no one else is doing it right now. Ironically, that's the way to stand out. So I'm just interested in how you saw the difference in the reaction between, because you're doing both the same product, two formats. What has been the difference in the reception or the popularity between those two formats? Well, the print definitely gets more buzz. Um, it's definitely more talked about. Patients are bringing it in. It's enduring content. So, yeah. Well, the magazine, I would imagine. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, so do you think that we're going to be seeing, at the moment, that space is yours, I would imagine. Um, do you think we're going to be seeing more of that in the, in the, um, in the aesthetic market and more people doing the kind of thing that you're doing? Um, I think so. Actually, I'm going to present the idea. I have a masterminds group. I'm going to present the idea because this content is um, not just content that is local for us. I mean, we're talking about things you can buy at Nordstrom and anyone can get online and buy at Nordstrom. We're talking about skincare products like Zio or uh, SkinCeuticals or things that lots of offices carry. So I think that um, this can be a platform for other practices to use as a template. And so that's actually the next business venture is to um, take this to other aesthetic practices outside of my you know, 500 mile radius and say, hey, here's what's working for us. You may not be something you want to mail because it's expensive to mail, but you may want to have 200 copies in your office for your new patient, you know, um, folders or just for patients to read while they're numbing. We keep them in the rooms for patients to read because um, they'll numb for 10 to 15 minutes and it gives them, you know, something else to, to look at while they're in the practice. So at the end of the podcast, I'm going to ask for your contact details. In case anyone wants to contact you about that, then I think that would be um, fantastic. But let me okay. know if the clinic um, does want to take up this idea. The clinic really says, you know what? Okay, everyone else is on digital. I want to do print. Where do you start with something like that? Well, what's your advice for them? Um, I honestly would let them reach out to Kara. I mean, Kara has been the mastermind behind this. Um, we tell her the content we want to write about. And uh, she gives us the theme, but we'll tell her like, what's trending in our office? What do we like? What are we doing a lot of now? What are patients asking us about? And then she will kind of tailor that into the content of the magazine. 
Same with the blogs. So what you're saying basically um, is having somebody dedicated to actually manage this. You do. It's a proper magazine. So somebody needs to do it professionally and properly. Yeah, it's not my it's not my wheelhouse to be an editor. I mean, I'm editor in chief of this magazine, but it's not like my wheelhouse is to inject. And so I have to bring people in to help me accomplish this goal and care is the perfect person for, for us. So this is a valuable um, business lesson, really, that the, the owner of the clinic, there's a limit to what you can do and you should be focusing on things that you are good at um, and allowing other people to do other things, I'm sure. Um, let's take a step back here. You've talked about um, this fantastic, really vibrant and grabbing magazine. Um, but you, your practice is actually quite young. You set it up in 2017. Um, take me back to, to your vision when you started your practice just two, probably nearly three years ago now. What were you aiming to build? Why, why did you start mm-hmm. it? And, and what was your vision there? Well, it was a very small vision. It was a very small boutique. I wanted to get away. I worked in a plastic surgery office. I was so grateful for that experience. So for eight years, I was in a, a, a plastic surgery practice. And at the time of my departure, we had almost 25 employees. And I was in charge of running the non-surgical division. It was a tremendous learning experience, but I think it was almost the experience that made me want to go completely the opposite way. I wanted to be a small practice, a boutique, actually I named it facial aesthetic boutique because I wanted to be very small, very intimate. And um, so I thought, you know, two or three rooms would be fine. One employee, maybe no esthetician, maybe one assistant at some point. And what I, when I opened the practice, I realized we're really busy. We, we need more space. We need more people. And so it, it kind of grew into this, what we have now are seven employees. Um, it is still small. I don't have a, a large practice, but we've had it. We've built a second location, which is now our current, it's a larger space. And I have an esthetician. She first was my assistant. Now It's only year two. So it's only year two. It's still a very young practice, but it's amazing to me that within two years, you really are standing out in this way. Yeah, we've um, done two build outs from like concrete level up um, within two years. And now we have, um, yeah, seven, seven employees on staff. And it wasn't my initial vision, but I think as a business owner, you realize that in order for you to have a break, or for you to be able to go on vacation and not worry about the income coming in, you have to have other streams of revenue. And so that's where having my esthetician came into play. We purchased a cool sculpting device this year. So I have someone running that. I mean, that machine was on all day long in our, in our room yesterday. And it helps me feel more secure. I don't want to grow. I don't want to go back to 25 employees. That was really never my goal. Um, so Again, that's why I developed the Masterminds group. I think that's a really important um, lesson to learn, actually, that not everyone, scaling can mean different things to different people, and not everyone needs to build something or wants to build something to a massive, um, you know, to a massive chain, um, but you do need to have a clear vision of where you want to go. That vision can change, by the way, mm-hmm. um, but not everyone actually needs, lots of people feel under pressure to really grow really, really big, but 
it's fine not to do that. Yeah, and I think I felt the pressure recently to say, okay, what's the next space? Where do we go from here? And I had to just take a step back and say, what makes me happy and what am I really great at doing? And my team is a second family to me. And it's really important for me to keep the culture the way it is now. And I think that when you add more staff and you add more personalities, you lose some of your culture. You, you can lose some of the culture. I'm not saying that I, I, you will, but I think that it could change. And I really am happy where we are right now. Um, so that's made me stop for a minute and just say, let's just be content and stay right where we are. So Haley, when you um, started the practice, um, how much experience did you have with the business side of things? Mm -hmm. So um, I had, I'd say a fair amount. Um, I probably had more experience in the, um, the management and the leadership of a team than I did behind the business, like the bookkeeping and the taxes and malpractice insurance, like all that I knew I needed, but it wasn't, um, I didn't have experience in that. So I've had to navigate that along the way. Um, and just of, in terms of navigating it, um, one thing one thing that I've noticed is that you've actually um, done something that many businesses don't do till quite a long way down the line, which is you've been quite diligent about not actually doing this alone, but seeking outside um, input. I know that you mentioned your mastermind group, and we'll definitely talk about that in a minute. Um, but I know that you also sing um, the praises of your of your business coach group. Um, so why did you decide that you needed that outside input? Well, I think I've had two business coaches. One was strategic coach in Chicago. So it's actually a format where you, you go up there and you meet with like, you probably have like 15 to 20 people in your group. And that was beneficial for me because it talked about time management and project management. So it helped me get a very clear vision of how I wanted the culture and the practice and how to lead this team. Um, my, I've gone through a divorce since opening the practice, and that was not fun, but I actually relied on uh, my ex-husband for a lot of the financial part of it and the, and the uh, business know-how, and I didn't have it any longer, so I had to seek people out for accountants and bookkeepers, and I've learned along the way what's worked and what hasn't worked, um, so you just have to get people on your team who will help you navigate what you, what you don't know. The one thing I'm interested in is you went to strategic coach. We're not, um, they're extremely well known. Stan Kennedy um, recently passed away, um, but they're not aesthetic specialists. No. So I, I'm interested, why did you make that decision? Did you, make it, did you deliberately decide to go outside of the aesthetic industry for that, um, for that input or, or how did that happen? That's a really good point. I have always gone outside of aesthetics for business advice because it's a fresh perspective and I don't want, well, my, you know, I don't want uh, my coach to say, well, this worked for that practice. That's not my practice. I'm completely different than, I, I think I run my practice differently than anyone else in this area. And so having outside the box, outside of aesthetics, um, knowledge, uh, wisdom is so important. 
that's where this magazine came into play was because Kara is not in aesthetics. So, I, so the hard part is you have to teach them the aesthetic part. You have to teach them, oh, well, Botox is in a filler. So if they're writing about blogs or writing content, you say, no, 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 this is, you know, they don't understand anything about the business at all but they have the knowledge of all the other businesses that might be insurance related or church related, or um, I like all those influences to come into my practice as well. And that is actually when people look at how great ideas and innovate more than great ideas, how innovation happens in business. One of the key ways is taking something from one industry and kind of cross pollinating it bringing it into a new industry, and that is actually a key way of how innovation happens. So it's interesting. It sounds like that's how the magazine happened. What other um, ideas did you bring from outside the aesthetic industry that, that it, for, through this process um, for, the, for, the, for your clinic and to help grow your clinic? Well, I think, um, you know, I listen to a lot of podcasts myself, and one thing that I've done in the hiring process um, I haven't been as great about this, but my few, when I do hire additional staff is looking at the Enneagram. So it's, it's something I've learned outside of aesthetics. I've never heard it inside of an aesthetic meeting, but the Enneagram is, what, what is that? You have it? Oh, you, you're going to be so excited. <laughs> so the Enneagram is basically a personality typing system. So it's things like that that I'm learning outside like the Colby, the Colby is a testing that you may do on staff that allows, you know, do they have great follow through? Are they a great initiator? So those are other aspects that I have learned outside of aesthetics to bring into my practice to make the team stronger. Um, so what kind of things, the business, the business coach, first of all, when people go to, um, to pick a business coach, what should they be looking for? What is most important? You know, there's so many out there, um, but you shouldn't take on just anyone. So what do you think is important to look for in a business coach? Well, just like, you know, you bring patients into your practice, word of mouth. So I did coach for, I did strategic coach for a year. And after that, I realized that I really want someone one-on-one -on -one with me. And that came from, honestly, through the divorce and being a solo parent and being a solo business owner, it's really tough. And it can be a lonely place to be as well because if something's going on in the practice, I have no one to talk to about it because none of my friends own businesses. Um, I don't have a husband at home to discuss it with. And... I just felt like I needed someone to help guide me into leading this business and leading my life. Um, to, you know, just, it's just, you can't do it alone. And so that prompted me to find someone else. And so I actually have one now. I speak to her every week for an hour. She's almost a life coach and a business coach. And her name is Molly Rudberg. I talk, she's in Chicago. Um, we talk on the phone once a week and I couldn't do it without Molly, to be honest with you. She's actually looked at areas of my life that aren't a 10 out of 10 and trying to get those areas in my life better so that I can lead my practice better. I think it's interesting what you're saying, actually, from a few different perspectives. One, one is this interaction with the personal and the business. I think that a lot of people really want to separate those two, but I'm a business owner. 
And I know that that's how difficult that is, that what's going on in your life obviously affects the way that you run your business as well. Um, and I'm wondering whether you think that, that we should be more open about acknowledging that. Um, so that last part cut out. I'm wondering whether you think we should be more open about acknowledging that, that kind of interaction and accepting it. Absolutely. I mean, balance, there's no such thing as balance, right? But in order to find as much balance as you can in life, you have to be happy in all areas of your life. And if home is not doing well, business is not going to do well. And if business is not doing well, home is not going to do well. So I think it's so important to look at all aspects of what goes on within your 24 hours. And of course, the irony is that when people are trying to build their practice, very often they neglect the personal side because people get so drawn into the business that the personal, um, they, they feel they don't have time for it. They feel it's not a priority and it's actually probably not great, ironically, for building a business. Yeah, it's true. You know, I used to train, like you introduced me as someone who trained over 4,000 providers. And that really was what kind of got me, you know, probably got my name known more than anything as being a, a trainer for Allergan and Galderma. And I trained for Palette. And but that tells you on the road. And at the end of the day, I think I did so, I remember being at the airport like two to three times a week. And I was one of their top five trainers around the country, but it, it takes so much out of you that when you own a business, you don't have that to give. And so I actually had to make the conscious decision um, for my home life, for my business life is I can't train anymore. Like I can bring people into the office and I, and what I do now is I actually take nurse practitioner students and we have a mentor program. So I will, you know, if their last clinical rotation is like, you know, 40 to 60 hours, that's my contribution, but it's, it's in my practice. I don't have to travel. So I still do some speaking events, podium speaking, but to travel and train, I had to, I had to give that up. Yeah, you have to know how to prioritize. Um, and when it comes to business coaches, uh, you've, you've been very open about wanting to go, you know, get this out and needing this outside support. Why do you think so many people and so many clinic owners and business owners in general, um, I sometimes think that, that there's some kind of reluctance there um, to, to get that kind of help. Why, why, why do you think that is? I think you get so inundated by the day-to-day -day operations of the practice that you don't feel like you've got time or the money or the resources. And for me, it's a priority. Like mental health and the health of the practice and my home are priorities to me. And I think, you know, going through the divorce personally, you have to like you're you have to it's a different season of life. And if you can get this season of life right and healthy and with greater perspective, it's going to make you better in all areas of your life. But I think that you get a lot of people like I don't have time for that or I've got this next project going on or I've got to hire this next staff that um, they don't time's the real and they can't take the step back. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. It's worth pointing out, by the way, also, because I'm a very, very big believer in coaching. So you're saying really, really um, speak to me um, that there is no senior politician, artist, musician on the planet that does not have a team of advisors behind them. And I think that people mm -hmm. who build business owners, um, sometimes they feel that they're kind of cheating. If they go get that help. 
but in reality, why should they know how to, why should they know how to run a business just because you're a great injector? you need to seek that help or just because you're a great, even if you're a great surgeon, it doesn't matter. Um, it, it's recognizing that actually true greatness, you have a team of, of a team behind you and it's not necessarily just a team under you. It's, mm-hmm. it's people who have more experience for you from, than you in certain areas um, who are actually coaches and advisors and being open to that. And because, that's how the big people you know in in practically every industry that is actually how people reach the top yeah well you know it's just as simple as I hired a new nurse practitioner and she said and you know when you bring someone a new provider in your practice and my name has been the reason why people come into the practice to see Haley why is someone going to come in and see Courtney so um, Molly has really been great in saying okay you're, she's part-time now. When do you want her to be full-time? I was like, I don't know. Like, what does this look like? And she goes, well, what does full-time look like for Courtney? So she helped me guide that conversation with Courtney so that I am helping Courtney achieve her goals rather than just my goal. And I would have never seen it that way. I would have said, okay, I want Courtney to make this much per month and blah, 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 blah. But she's like, well, what does Courtney want? Because if Courtney's goals don't align with what you want, this may never work. And so it's just that insight to being proactive about, again, creating that perfect team. And I, I couldn't do it alone. There's no way. So we'll talk about creating the perfect team. Um, but just before that, I want to get to one other thing, which is your mastermind group. Because, of course, seeking mm-hmm. help, we talk about seeking help from people who are um, from outside the industry and from people who kind of specialize or have specific business experience. But your ma- mastermind group is something else, because that's seeking advice from your peers. It's a, it, it's a different type of advice and a different type of support. So first of all, why don't you tell us a little bit about the mastermind group? Um, what is it? How does it work? Um, mm-hmm. How many members are? And then let's dive into that a little bit. Yeah. So yeah, you're right. I mean, I like to have people who are advising me like out on the business, like outside of aesthetics, but then there was this need. And about three years ago, my friend Don Sabrilla, I was like, she owns her practice. I was, and I said, we need to have a group where we don't talk about injection techniques because we've got that. We know that. I want to talk about how many staff you have and what do you pay your receptionist and what benefits do you offer? Like I need the stuff that's not talked about at any meeting anywhere, but I need it to be in an intimate group of people and peers that I trust. And I wanted to surround myself with people who are far smarter than I am. So, um, I remember Don and I, we were on a, a flight together from one meeting. Um, I think we went to Chicago. And so we had like two hours to say, okay, who, who are, um, nurse practitioners and physicians assistants in the, in our space who own their own practice? Because we, you know, um, as nurse practitioners and PAs, we have a different um, sometimes uh, setup with physicians than a registered nurse would. And we do have one registered nurse in our group, but the goal is to have her possibly break out and have her own RN masterminds group. So we were wanting to kind of like bring Gina in to like let her bring to take on the next group. Well, you so you created a community of your peers. Yes. And these are people we've known for years. Uh, we've all been inje- trainers, injectors, 
and they are, they vary. I mean, and we wanted to keep it like everybody like within a 500 mile radius so that if they shared their best marketing tips, if they share their best Instagram tips, that there was no fear that the person in the next town over would share those. So we had to be very picky about who we brought into our group. And I'm sure we can make our group so much larger. And that was originally the goal. But like you said, things change. And after our first meeting, it was so dynamic and it was so wonderful that we're like, we want nothing to change. We don't really want to bring anybody else in. But we, we knew that there was a sweet spot at about 11 to 12 members. And so the reason behind that is because we have a hot seat topic. And every member has 20 minutes to come to the table and say, this is my most pressing issue in the business side. And we as a group sit around and help them with that one problem. So in order to have 20 minutes that are dedicated. So each time you're focused on one person. Yes, and we do that at the very end of our masterminds group. And uh, are you meeting um, in person or is this done online? Yeah, we meet once a year. We meet in Scottsdale, Arizona. The first meeting was at was in New York City um, at the Nestle Shield Center when Gal Dharma had that. It was a you know it was beautiful. It was on the Hudson, and we went to we did some social activities before and the night after we went to dinner just to create that trust and those, you know, further the bonds with each other. Um, we're already kind of a close group, but this has made it a lot closer. So now we go to Arizona and we meet out there. Um, and now we actually say people are actually wanting two meetings a year. And of all the meetings I attend, honestly, it's my favorite because it's not so much injection. It's not so much how to do Botox better or how to blend this filler differently. It is about really what affects each of our lives every day. And um, I think everybody in the group feels that way. So we, we didn't have a membership fee in the beginning, um, but we just, you know, split the fees, like whatever our costs were, we would split it the 11 ways. But now we're actually, this year, we're, we've developed the LLC, Aesthetic Masterminds LLC. We have a bank account. We're doing membership fees. And that just makes everything easier on the back end to have our meetings. So how is the support and the advice that you get from your peers different to the one, the advice and support you're getting from, from the business coach? Well, I think, you know, the masterminds group, they live this, breathe this every day. So when I, we talk about the sweet spot. They are in the, they are in the industry. That's one of yeah. the. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they live this, breathe this every day. So, um, I feel like I get more like detailed information from my masterminds group on the actual business. Like how much are you paying your receptionist? What benefits do you offer? Those are not going to come from my business coach. My business coach is much, you know, higher level than that. Yeah. It's more on the culture and the, those types of things. Whereas I need the nitty gritty sometimes. And the nitty gritty is, you know, who do you use as your supplier for this numbing cream? <laughs> you know, just those types of things. Are the kind of problems that people come up with, um, are they similar? Yeah, they actually are. Um, they are um, anything from having like a, a difficult team member and how do we work through that to I've, um, 
I've created a monster with, you know, with bonus structure. So how do I wheel this back in? Um, they are, um, it's mainly, I, I would say it's, and you know, the other one is since we're all trainers, they're like, how do I find balance in life? So how do we, as all trainers and business owners, how have we decided what's important for us to help, to help them if they have a certain issue? Mm -hmm. Wow. It sounds, first of all, I'm sure it's absolutely fascinating um, conversations. Um, but I guess taking the broad look, so how has it impacted you? But we'll go to, we'll take a break in a second. Then we'll talk about your hiring practices, which I'm really interested in. Um, but it sounds like to, to build this business, basically, you really have been fantastic about going out and seeking different types of support in different types of places. Mm -hmm. um, so how overall, first of all, has that impacted your business? And also, um, if somebody else really wants, really um, felt the need to do that, and I think that really everyone should be doing that, where should they be starting? Yeah, I think that the, the business coach gives you a more global assessment, a global guidance, whereas the masterminds group, and it doesn't have to be like a formal masterminds. It could just be a solid group of peers that you talk to on the phone or um, you email and say, hey, you know, get, grab, grab three or four people that you know are in your exact situation and say, hey, if I have questions, can I reach out to you? And most people will say yes because they've been there and done that. You know, you don't have to do this big elaborate masterminds meeting, but just surround yourself with people or grab some people that have done it before you and, and you like the way that they are growing their practice and say, this is what I kind of want mine to look like. So how did you get there? So really, um, it's about sharing ideas and taking ideas from elsewhere, but also just acknowledging that you can't do everything yourself and there's a lot of value in the sharing. Mm-hmm. Ellie, we're going to take a break here. When we come back, we're going to discuss your unique hiring practices. We'll be back in a second. Hey, Miriam here. And before we get back to today's guest, I just want to mention something you might be interested in. Because as you're listening to this podcast, I'm guessing that you might want to scale your own aesthetic clinic or med spa. And at Brainstorm Digital, we've developed a three-step process that keeps your practice fully booked with high-quality patients. It's called the Zero Ad Spend Aesthetic Accelerator System, and it gets your patients through your doors again and again so you can rapidly raise your turnover and scale without chasing the same expensive, difficult-to-convert leads on Google and on social media that all your competitors are going after. To find out more about how this proven process works, I've recorded a short video which not only walks you through the three steps so you know exactly how we do it, but you'll also see how one ambitious clinic owner used the system to generate an extra $183,000 in revenue in just 12 months. To watch the short video, go to brainstormaesthetics.com. That's pretty simple to remember, brainstormaesthetics.com. But I'll put the address into the show notes as well so you can access it easily at the end of the podcast. And if you'd like to talk to me afterwards about how we can implement this powerful results-driven system for your clinic, there's a quick form you can use to get in touch with me after you've watched the video or just email me directly. I'm looking forward to hearing from you. Now let's get back to the show. So hi, everyone. Welcome back. Um, Haley. I want to address another issue that I know you said was at, is that been absolutely key to your success, um, and that's hiring the right people. Um, 
first of all, lots of people believe that as long as you have really good systems and processes in your business or in your clinic, that the people almost don't matter because you know you you really need to build a business where anyone any anyone can where any role can be performed by any person. Is that your experience or does it really, really matter who the individuals are in your team? Well, it absolutely matters who you have on your team because they have to care and you have to know what their motivation is. And yes, it would be so nice to say that, you know, people are indispensable and I can fire that person and hire someone else off the street to complete that role because I have protocols in place and they're going to do them just exactly that way. That is not the case. You just have to find the right people to get on your bus. And you may hire someone that you thought was great for this role. They may turn into another role. So what do you, what, what do you, when you look for people, what, what do you think, what, what do you define as a good team member? Well, it depends on what role you want them in. Um, you know, my receptionist is going to be a completely different personality than my clinical assistant. So my reception needs to be this bubbly, you know, very heartfelt, like, lovely person and Fran is wonderful. She makes every, everyone feel welcomed and she says when they leave out the door, have a great day. She's the kind of person who wants to know where you went to dinner and was it a great experience. That's not the same person that I want as my clinical assistant. I want my clinical assistant to be, you know, very detail oriented. I want to know how she makes a sandwich. <laughs> I don't want to know that I get to grab some bread and some random peanut butter and I make a sandwich. Like I want to know that I want to know exactly what she does when, and that I can count her sets. Her skill sets are far different than my receptionist. But actually the things that you mentioned now are not skills. They are personality traits. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's where that Enneagram comes back into play. Um, and looking for, there is one attitude to hiring, which is that anyone can learn a skill set. Okay. Maybe you can't become a doctor overnight or whatever, but certain jobs, Skill sets can be learned, but personality cannot. So is that essentially what you believe? Absolutely, 100%. Okay. So let's talk about, um, now we understand a little bit about what you're looking for. What is your hiring process? Well, you know, I have commonly hired within my practice. So my very first employee was a patient of mine. And I said, you know, I think I need someone part-time just to help me answer the phones, do scheduling. And she said, yeah, she said, I, I've been home with my daughter for five years. This sounds right at my alley. She had no experience. So I knew I was going to train her from the ground up. Um, but I could not do my business without Leslie. So she um, is analytical. I didn't know this. She is tech savvy, which is awesome because I am not. And she can get 12 hours of work done in six. She's so efficient. Um, and I recently, her husband was diagnosed with brain cancer and she had to go on leave. And so I have tremendously missed her. But, in, but I had another uh, patient who said, I would love to work here. And you know, you've got those patients who come in and out of your practice who would be like, they would be really great to work with. Like they love the practice, they're loyal, they would bring patients in. And that's what happened with Allison. She um, said, I would love to, you know, she was, she's a retired attorney. She was a stay-at-home mom. But there, there was a dynamic that I saw within her as a patient that thought, yeah, this would be great. So she has stepped, to the, has stepped up to the plate. So a lot of, you know, 
So two of my... First of all, that's not a hiring process. That is, it says something different about your practice, which is that it's amazing. Your patients love it so much. They actually want to work there, Um, (laughs) which I think is a lesson in and of itself. I actually, on the other interviews I just did, that's actually what the doctor, and everyone can listen to that podcast with um, Victor Snyders from South Africa, um, who I actually interviewed earlier today. And he said that when he set up the practice, he wanted to create a practice that was so great that he never had to advertise because people would approach them. So it sounds kind of naturally managed to do that. Um, but as I recall from last time we spoke, um, you have a process, you do have a process for actually hiring people where you, you try them out. Is that right? Yes. So, you know, not all of my um, staff members have been patient. So we use um, Indeed and Indeed is a way to like, you know, say, okay, hey, here's a job opening and send us your resume. I won't hire, I won't even interview someone unless they follow up and they bring their resume into my practice because it tells me they have the follow through and they want this position. So we just um, did an Indeed ad for um, a clinical assistant. We had, oh my gosh, probably over 150, 200 applicants. And I tell you what, only three people brought their resume into the practice. Do you, those tell, be the- you tell them that you want them to, or you're just waiting? No, the no. Um, that's what I expect. I would expect somebody would follow through on their application process because that's a of person I want in my practice. So Amy, my esthetician, she was my first clinical assistant. She was one of the very first ones to send me an email and say, hey, I just want to follow up on the job posting and where are you in that? And that just spoke to me. And so I was like, hey, yeah, let's let's do a phone interview. So we did a phone interview. It went great. I said, come into the practice. Let's meet. And then we met for like 15 or 20 minutes. And then we got a day on the books where she would come in and just shadow us for the day because, and I wanted her to shadow with every person at, you know, at that time we only had, I think three staff members. So I wanted her to spend time with Leslie and with Fran and myself to say, okay, does this work for us? Does this work for you? How long did it take you to get here from work? So she was, she wasn't doing, she wasn't doing a day of free work. She was just observing. She was just shadowing. Just shadowing. And we've done that with everyone because I, you just can't really understand someone within a, you know, a 20 minute, an hour interview. And I think the shadowing process is so important because like my grandmother said, you don't know someone unless you go on vacation with them or, or you, you live with them. And it's true. Like you want to live with them for a little bit. Is a day enough? Um, I think it gives you a lot of insight whether or not you want to proceed with that proceed with that um, applicant for sure. So, what can you see in a day like that? Where they they they're not doing anything; they're just following you around, presumably. So, what 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 can you see? What can you tell about people in that day? What are you and what are you looking for? Well, I mean, honestly, I'm looking to see if they're going to get on my nerves because <laughs> if they're you know just annoying or asking like the wrong questions or just like, you, like, again, you got to live with this person. Is it going to work? Um, and you can tell by their quality. Yes. yes. You're looking to see, um, you know, if I say, hey, I just want you to be a fly on the wall today. Can they do that? Can they go into a room and keep their mouth shut 
and just watch and observe. And then when they come out of the room, ask questions. If they can't do that, it's not going to work. It's also much more difficult to fake. You know, uh, uh, when, you, when you come into an interview, you can learn interview technique. You can fake that hour, basically. But it's hard yes. to sleep an entire day. People put their best face forward for an hour, right? Or during an interview or phone conversation. But if you put them into the environment, sometimes you'll see, you'll pick up on something. And I really lead with my gut. And if I just don't have a gut feeling about it, I know it's probably not the best way to do it, but it's, it's been successful so far. But if my gut says this isn't the right person, then we'll go on to the next applicant. So at what stage are you doing the personality testing? Well, I'll be honest, we have not done that with our current staff. But as we grow, I definitely would do that because I want to see what motivates them. I want to see, like, how would I best communicate them, communicate with them and grow them as a person. Um, so the Enneagram is definitely what I would give them to say, to see, who, who we're working with. And given that you're looking, when they spend that day with you, given that you are looking for, um, for group dynamics, does the rest of your staff have any kind of say in the hire? Absolutely. Because if Amy came to me and said, I don't have a good feeling or this isn't going to work, or did you think about this? Did you think that she's really not going to be happy in this position because she really wants to be, she's not going to be happy as an assistant because she really wants to be an esthetician and where are we going to put that person now? Because we don't have space. So absolutely, like you've got to have the feedback from your staff um, because I trust my staff. And again, you can't do this alone. So I always say, you know, find a faithful hand. And my faithful hands are my staff members. They see things. They have different personalities than I do. And they're going to see different aspects of that person in the way they interacted with patients or I mean, they, they may have had a different experience than I did. It's just like patients when they come in and they'll see and assist or see the first person that brings them back. And they're like, oh, I didn't like this or I didn't like this. But then when you walk in the room, the patient's like, oh, my gosh, it's so great. It's wonderful. I want to do it again. So it's, they need different points of contact in the practice when they come in for that day of interviewing. And I do actually know one other company that does something similar. Actually, they're not in the aesthetic space. But the point when I discuss this with them um, that they made to me was that it's also an opportunity, by the way, for, let's say, the practice in this case to sell itself to the person. Because what people forget in the hiring process um, is that you are not just interviewing someone um, to take up a role, but that person also has a decision to make. Um, and if you really want the best people, actually, you really need to sell your practice to them as well um, mm -hmm. to attract the best. Because as you said, hiring the best team is really, really important. Um, so do you do anything during that day to, I wouldn't say impress them, because you don't, that sounds kind of fake, but essentially to, to make the practice attractive to them as well? No, I, I don't think so. I think we just, we are who we are and the people and the patients and who we are speaks for itself. And everyone we've brought in to do this process says, this is where I want to be. And we choose whether or not we want them to be in there or not. And so, no, we don't do anything that is extraordinary we run our day as our day normally would be because we start our day with a morning huddle i want them there for that i want them there to see like how many patients we're seeing per day what the flow is no I, because 
I don't feel like that would be an honest assessment for either one of us to make a decision for, for their job. And do you ever find, obviously, if somebody said this, then you wouldn't want to hire them uh, by definition. But do you ever people, you know, sometimes people say, oh, I've got to take off a whole half day for an interview. These people have to take off an entire day. Right. Uh, is, there, is there any resistance there? I mean, obviously, that's a sign that you wouldn't want to hire them. But is that something you come across? No, we haven't. Because I think if they feel like this is an important, that this is a job they want, they'll find a way to make it work. And we'll find a way to make it work for them as well. Um, I try not to have like, I, when I'm in clinic, I try to focus on clinic. So I don't want to have, if I have someone else coming in to shadow for the day or to interview them, I want to make sure I'm able to focus on them and I'm dedicated to that. So I don't want to have other things going on that day, but for them, no, I've not had anyone say I can't get off of work or I can't make that work. Haley, two last questions for you. Number one, um, you talked about the importance of having a really good team in place. How has having the right team in place actually helped you grow and build the practice that you want? Well, honestly, each of my team members are little mini business coaches. They're little mini life coaches. And I took an opportunity to them yesterday. I said, what do you all think about this? It's this, you know, a, um, a TV marketing uh, promotion. And they're like, no, you don't need it. We don't need it. So um, my team members um, help grow the practice on a daily basis. We have, um, they let me know if things that are going on with patients. They let me know what's going on um, dynamic wise. Like you're seeing like, you know, 16 patients today, but you've got, uh, but one of those patients, their birthday's today. So we bought them a cupcake. So, you know, they, they all, they all know their role so well and, but they help each other um, with, with their, but they help their team members with their roles as well. I can't say I have one selfish person in my practice or one what jealous. It sounds like is that you've really built a team that have bought into what you want, into your vision. Yes. And ultimately, if we bring it back this theme, which keeps on coming up again and again of seeking advice, um, they, you've got the advice from the, from the business coaches, you've got the advice from your peers, but because you've built a team, that really wants to be there and is invested in your business and cares about it. Um, they, they are, they, they, because they're invested in it, they want to make the most of it. And so therefore they become an engine of growth in the world themselves and an engine of advice as well. Yeah. And I think that, you know, communication, when you have, you know, all women staff, I mean, we have to be honest, there can be a lot of bickering. There can be a lot of just like, just awfulness. I've been there especially as a nurse, you know, like uh, nurses eat their young and I never wanted that. I don't want any drama, but the key is communication. So that's why every morning we meet at eight 30 and we talk about the day before and we talk about the day ahead of us and like what's going on. And I think the more you communicate and keep those lines open, that there's no opportunities for someone to take something and turn it or twist it. So um, in our space is that it's a large, it's, it's an open space. So we don't have little cubicles where people go back into, you know, like little, like you've got your little office sitting here. Or I've got mine there. Like we all are open to keep that communication open. I think that's the key when you're, when you have women um, as, as it all female staff. And the last question, which is what is next for the look? Oh, I'll have to ask Molly, my business coach that. <laughs> Sure. We meet today at 2.30. Um, 
I honestly, I don't know. I'm, I'm so content and happy right where we are. Our space is for, five, for another four years. Um, I'm, learning to, I'm learning to be happy in, this, in the moment that I'm in. And I think with masterminds, I've got some, we've got some um, nurse practitioners and PAs who have, you know, large 25 employee practices. They have multiple practices and there's a sweet spot there. And I'm still trying to figure out what my sweet, I may be in my sweet spot with seven employees. I don't think I want to, now it may change. We may do another interview next year and it may be completely different. I have 16 employees, who knows, but for right now, unless the person that I hire is just a perfect fit or the opportunity is just so awesome for like space, I think I'm going to stay right where I am right now. I actually think that's a really, really valuable lesson um, because I actually interviewed another doctor who has, I think, 15 or 16 clinics, something like that. And I asked him, how do you scale? And he said, the first decision you have to make is whether you, whether you want to scale. Um, because knowing where your sweet, your sweet spot is and knowing where, what you really want the business to give you as the owner yes. um, is really, really important. It's really about making your own definition of success. Success does not necessarily mean 16 clinics. Um, no. It just means one that you, are, that you have this wonderful team and that you're really, really happy running. And that's really no, it's, it's so important because one person's success um, or the success, you know, scaling does not mean you're going to bring in three to five million dollars. Like that's never, yeah, it'd be great. But for me, it's, it's finding true joy in what you do every day. And I love my, I love injecting. I love the team that I have. The magazine has been honestly another source of joy. Um, and cause it's actually a little bit of my word of ministry as well. So in my editorial, I talk about, I get personal in my editorial and I think that, you know, the larger you get, the larger your problems become. And I am always aware of that. So scaling for me is going to be deliberate, intentional, and really has to go to my, my core values to say at the end of the day, do I, Am I happy where I am or is there something missing? If there's something missing, then I'll find it. But right now, there's not anything missing right now. Wonderful note to end on. Haley, if somebody wants to get in touch with you, especially about the Mastermind Group or especially about the magazine, um, how do they do that? Yeah, you can call our office. Um, our website is thelookfacialaesthetics.com. Um, you can reach out to us on uh, the website and then – what I just said is I hate Instagram, but you can reach out to me on Instagram and I have to actually look at my handle right now. My handle, I think my name, isn't it awful? It's Haley, um, Haley Wood underscore NP. So you can reach out um, via Instagram as well. Fantastic. I'll pull all those in the show notes as well. I'm Haley Wood from the Look Facial Aesthetic in Tennessee. It's been a pleasure, absolute pleasure on of, of having you on how I scaled my aesthetic practice today. Thank you so much for being with us. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it. I hope you had fun. and I certainly did. So thank you very much. And for everyone who's listening, I will see you on the next episode of how I scaled my aesthetic 